You're right. I have exited a couple of previous companies. Um, the last one was an eight-figure exit. I don't need to work, you know, going forward. But at the same time, I'm not going to be, you know, spending it the next 10 years of my life, you know, doing something that doesn't have a big potential upside as well. First and foremost, yeah, I, was, I built Steemoji for my sons explicitly. And it's great that we can be able to help other, you know, communities, other families out there to, you know, teach their own children or other children in the community. But at the same time, you know, this is a business. Our franchise partners need to make money. And the more revenue we can generate as a system, the more we can plow back into building better and better curriculum, building up the brand, just better supporting all of our franchise partners. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Hank Horkoff of Steemoji. Hank is a serial entrepreneur who has already had two exits in the e-learning space. One of them was an eight-figure exit to a pretty massive tech company that a lot of us would know. While he was semi-retired, he decided he wanted to get back out there and start building a new business. So this franchise is his next endeavor. And I think anyone who's considered founding a franchise or has been an entrepreneur in other spaces will appreciate the perspective Hank brings. Hope you enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Thanks for coming on, Hank. And uh, I'd love to dive into Steemoji and the brand. But as a starting point, can we get kind of a primer on your experience? Because from our last conversation, you said you have quite a bit of, uh, you know, experience in the e-learning space. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Uh, over the past probably two decades, I've started and been fortunate enough to sell to e-learning companies. And then basically in 2017, I found myself semi-retired in my early 40s. Amazing. And so during that retirement, I guess, you decided you wanted to stay within education, but not online education anymore. Yeah, after probably about 18 months of doing drop-offs and pickups for my two sons, um, who are currently 8 and 11 years old, I started going a little bit stir-crazy. And I think it finally came to a head when one of my younger son's kindergarten teachers pulled me aside and said, you know, Hank, we were asking all the children, what does your father do for work? And one child said, my dad's a doctor. Another child said, my dad's a lawyer. And this teacher said, Hank, your son said, my dad drives the car. <laughs> uh, so after I heard this anecdote, I was like, you know, I've started and exited two, two companies. And my younger son is going to see me in this light as a driver of the car and not to see me in what I believe I truly can do. So Based off of that story, I felt I had to do something else. And so I just started talking to a number of other parents where my children went to school. Um, I started exploring the local market for other opportunities within education and happened to stumble upon a franchise fair and everything in education was educational centers for kids. And with my background more in e-learning, this was a completely new world for me. So yeah, I started digging deeper into it and really trying to understand the marketplace. Fascinating, yeah. And what has, I mean, just generally, right? 
going from e-learning to now franchises that are operating brick and mortar uh, locations, right? And require real estate. Did you, when starting Steemoji, think to maybe start something that didn't require any real estate and kind of stick to some type of model that maybe was more online based at all? So absolutely. It's something we definitely explored. I guess two parts of that question. One, as we were exploring the existing marketplace of sort of brick and mortar locations, you know, you had the more, from my research and understanding, uh, you have the Cummins of the world, um, where they basically just through drilling and repetition, tried to get your children to kind of remember concepts. Uh, you had more of a, a generic K through 12 tier of tutoring centers, uh, basically tutoring all K through 12 subjects for all K through 12 age groups. And then there seemed to be a, a trend towards more specialization over the last few decades, tutoring centers that only maybe did math or only did coding. And so, yeah, just discussing with other parents, we just started asking ourselves, like, what potential vertical might be next? And having two sons and a background in technology, I personally want to expose them to more of STEM education. I feel that's very important for their future development. You know, if you look at your iPhone, your Android phone, 10 years ago compared to now, it's dramatically different. But how much has the school curriculum really changed over that same period of time? And so as much as schools have talented teachers that care really passionately about developing their children, they're often constrained by budgets, experience with the subject matter. And quite frankly, school curriculums just don't really put a huge priority on STEM subjects. So that need kind of sparked me as a parent to try to, to solve that gap. And so, you know, I first went on Amazon, I searched for STEM kits, and I got bombarded by thousands of results. Like, there's no way an, a normal parent can make sense of, you know, which project to start with, how to progress, and even how to do it themselves, because they probably don't have much experience with these kits. So it's very, very challenging for a parent to, to navigate this themselves. And more often than not, these kits would just end up unused on a shelf downstairs or something, right? Many local communities often have great camps, and so I, I would send my kids to summer camps. But, you know, when I picked them up, my younger son, my older son, for instance, I took him to a summer camp. I got really excited by a robotics project. And when I picked him up on Friday, they're like, we'll see you next year. I'm like, what do you mean next year? He's passionate <laughs> about it now. Why is there no kind of after-school enrichment opportunity that he can continue to nurture and develop this interest? So just from selfish reasons, we early on very quickly uh, zoomed in, uh, narrowed in on doing, wanting to do something in STEM. And one thing about STEM is that it is incredibly hands-on. A lot of the stuff, you're always making something or doing something or using tools. And so it's very challenging uh, to deliver something like that uh, virtually, unlike math or coding. You know, a lot of these more academic theoretical subjects that, you know, to be honest, could be completely done online for most age groups. And so, yeah, I really gravitated first towards STEM. It really seemed to make sense to have a physical location to do this. And then obviously I didn't have much background originally uh, with sort of commercial real estate or, you know, commercial build outs or even just, you know, the franchising world in general. So uh, we were very fortunate to be introduced to a former chairman of one of the franchise associations. And he just recently sold one of his brands and had started consulting younger franchise brands like ourselves to really bring best of class, world class training and support and partners to help us navigate through the build out of our commercial, our corporate locations, uh, but in addition to helping our franchise partners as well. So it was uh, not the most logical step for someone that had e-learning background, but um, as we started going through it, STEM hands-on and just being very fortunate to have great partners to, to help guide us through the areas that uh, I had less experience with. Sure. Yeah, no, that was going to be one of my questions is kind of just 
what that transition has been like. So it sounds like you've definitely gotten some help to kind of manage that transition. But even just when you thought about building and founding your own franchise concept, you know, there, there are right STEM franchises or franchises that maybe offer a component of what the STEM education is. So like, yeah, how did you really hone in on how you could differentiate yourself in the market? And maybe just as a better starting point, you know, if I asked you, like, what is Steemoji? How would you just explain to maybe a parent, you know, what their kid will get out of going to Steemoji? So sure. Um, Steemoji is a maker academy for kids that trains the builders, makers, inventors, and entrepreneurs of the future. You know, like I said, technological change is very much accelerating. And many parents feel that STEM subjects, well, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, are important to help prepare their children for the careers of their future, but they see their schools more focused on traditional studies. So that's kind of the, the pain point we're, we're trying to solve for parents. In terms of how we differentiate uh, within the marketplace in terms of STEM, you know, STEM, it's a field that's a little bit, one of the challenges that we have is really explaining to parents what is STEM. Right. You know, if you want to have help your child tutor in math or in any other traditional subject, you as a parent probably have already gone through that yourself. So you may not be so good at algebra as you were, you know, decades ago, but at least you have some sense of what algebra is. Right. And so if, if you're having your child providing tutoring sessions for them around that, at least you have some concept as a parent of you know, what it is. STEM, it's very important. And so we were very much inspired by what's often referred to as the Bible for makerspaces, a book called Invent to Learn. And they very much break down, you know, sort of makerspaces in this, this kind of culture into four subject pathways. So the first one would be fabrication. Now, fabrication are, is things like additive fabrication, where you're doing 3D printing um, and using CAD design to actually print um, physical objects. So that's a big part of what we do for our kids, uh, but also uh, laser cutting, so subtractive fabrication. And these, these are kind of things that uh, we get our kids doing projects with. The second pathway would be physical computing. And physical computing is basically having sensors that interact with the real world using code to do something with a physical object based on those sensors. So basically using applied coding circuits, uh, more complex robotics, and then all the subjects such as more traditional engineering, digital arts, and then in addition to some of these hard skills that we're trying to teach the kids, uh, we feel it's just as important to teach some of the softer skills. So concepts of growth mindsets. So encouraging children to, you know, just be engaged with challenges and problems rather than just saying, I'm bad at math or I can't code. Yeah. We really want to try to avoid some of those closed mindsets. And then other concepts like, you know, design thinking or the engineering process. So this whole approach that you know, nothing is really perfect on the first attempt. You as a, a child need to be trained to have the confidence to take on the challenge, try to come up with some solution, make it, build it, play around with it, see what can be done better, get feedback from others in terms of how it can be improved, then do it again. I'll go through the whole process, then do it again and again. And this is something that's often not taught in schools where things are right or wrong. And so for a child, they kind of need to get out of that mindset where they don't need to be afraid to be wrong on that first attempt. Um, they need to understand that it's a process to build anything great. Personally, I have never achieved anything significant on my first attempt. You know, everything from starting a business to building anything, it, it takes many repeated attempts to do it. So these are subjects that we are very much trying to intertwine. And I think it very much differentiates ourselves from other STEM 
focused brands that may be focused only on math or only on coding. We are very much multidisciplinary and very much focused on solving problems rather than just teaching abstract coding or abstract math. Everything we do is practical and hands-on. Fascinating, yeah. And that was kind of where I was going to with like kind of the competitive landscape. There does seem to, you know, there's definitely like multiple coding-specific franchises, but I haven't seen anyone kind of like you where, you know, like you said, with the physical computing, you know, just even if you look at the Steamoji website, you kind of see like the projects that get worked on there. It's cool. It's like a lot of... Uh, actual building kind of going on. But I got to ask, so how has, you know, either COVID impacted Steamoji or more importantly, I guess, just these kinds of businesses at large, right? Because I would guess that, you know, there was potentially some transition to online education that's been made, or is this something that you feel is really built for the in-person live experience? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And I think one thing COVID clearly demonstrated is, or clearly encouraged, is a dramatic increase in the adoption by, say, middle school or high school students to e-learning or to just Zoom-based learning. And so as I talk to, you know, prospective franchise partners, you know, the reality is they're looking at a number of different brands. You know, first of all, most of the franchise partners we target, they tend to be very mission-focused. They more often than not are parents themselves. They want to do a business, but they also want to, you know, do something for the community, do something for their family, uh, do something to really feel, you know, good about things. So when I really talk to them, you know, they're evaluating a number of different options, us versus other tutoring centers or other, you know, math or coding schools. And I tell them, you know, the reality is the middle school and high school students now really don't want to physically travel to your location. Uh, they're happy to do this on their phone. They're happy to do this on their iPad or a PC at home. And, you know, you as an entrepreneur then are basically having to focus maybe on a smaller segments of the market. Like I still think there's great value in face-to-face interactions for younger children. And so that the markets, I, I don't feel is going to be migrating online anytime soon. Uh, but for the older kids, it is. And so you're going to be taking on more risk as you're looking at a smaller addressable market. In addition to, you know, competitors are popping up that don't have physical locations, that don't have to pay rent and do, you know, tenant improvements. And so they have a lower cost base, but there's your competitors now as they're teaching coding and math and everything else. On the other hand, with Steamoji, we just use a lot of stuff. Everything we do is hands-on. We tried during COVID to do some kind of virtual program where we would send a box of, of kit to uh, families' homes and then uh, do Zoom sessions, helping guide the child through their session. Uh, what we found very quickly, though, is if the parent was not you know, sitting exactly right next to the child, the first time the child had any kind of challenge or issue or problem, it would be immediate failure. It just didn't work at all. So if, if the, the mom or the dad was you know, half cooking dinner, half watching over the child, it just very, very bad results. And so that gave us, one, it was disappointing to not have that business be able to thrive and grow. But at the same time, it gave us the confidence that, you know, you really do need a physical academy, a physical center to be able to deliver what we do. It's not something uh, that's going to be disrupted by any kind of online competitors. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Just given what you're doing, but that, you know, with all the the physical building that the in-person experience would matter more. But I hear you. I feel like that also just from a competitive standpoint is is a positive thing because that service you're providing is so differentiated that you're kind of uh, not having to get caught up in that virtual world that maybe COVID has accelerated kind of the uh, the desire for that. 
And one thing that's always been a little bit weird to me is, you know, again, you know, all of the entrepreneurs in every educational center, they're passionate people, they're very mission focused and good on them, right? But, you know, if you're a tutoring school offering online services, you're competing with, you know, national providers of this, right? You don't really have any other differentiation, you know, versus these national providers, and they just don't have the cost base that you do, right? So for us, yeah, everything, we just have a lot of stuff. Um, there are some challenges that come along with that. But at the same time, yeah, you really do need a physical center to be able to do what we do. Yeah. And when you designed this franchise, I mean, are you the only person designing the curriculum? And like, you know, could you do everything effectively that's being taught? Or have you brought in, you know, people with different specialties to kind of uh, help design this curriculum from scratch amongst all the age groups that kind of take these classes at, at Estimoji? No, absolutely not. I definitely had to bring in subject matter experts. We have a whole internal team. So going back to that original problem of, you know, how do you provide a structured program to help guide a six to 14 year old uh, through potentially five hours or five years of activities. Um, we developed a 400 hour program that's structured and reinforcing across those, you know, four subject pathways I discussed. We do have a, you know, a VP product who's helped develop that, not just develop it, but iterate it. We found some challenges, both in terms of improving different missions or courses and projects or different activities, both to better keep the kids engaged, uh, but also to help make operational delivery of these projects a lot more efficient and possible. And so, yeah, we, we've definitely had a lot of learning with that. But yeah, we have a team of internal team that guides the process, but we also work with external consultants and subject matter experts. And then we, again, nothing is perfectly built on the first attempt, just like we teach our kids. We do our best to throw out a project, but fully expecting that we're going to have to iterate it, develop it, and make it better over time ourselves. Understood. No, that's fantastic. And I got to ask too, the name Steemoji, how'd you guys, uh, or if it was just you, you know, how, how'd you come up with that? No, that was uh, one of our other co-founders, uh, T.R. Harrington. He was playing, he's a branding marketing guy than, than myself. Yeah. Uh, but we were just kind of playing around with the concept of STEM or Steam, and then just trying to make it playful and fun. And so emojis, we just kind of married it together, Steam, Steam, and emoji to get Steemoji. And yeah, it's this great, unique brand, easy to trademark, easy to make it, um, you know, kind of create a playful kind of fun kind of an environment with it. So our mascot is an OG character. And within the actual physical centers, we try to do playful things with OG. We have a number of different gamification elements as well to help keep the kids engaged. So most educational centers for kids will give away points. So every time the child attends, they'll be able to get points. They can redeem those points for prizes. It's one way to encourage the child to want to come to the center. But we've also layered in things like house teams to help create bonds between some of the older and younger kids, like many British schools might have, Harry Potter style, and then even achievement levels. Um, so just like in karate, as you progress through a number of different levels to get become a black belt, we have 10 different achievement levels to help motivate our, our apprentices, the kids that use a tense emoji, to go through all 400 hours of activities um, over those five years. So it's definitely important to keep the kids engaged. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I love that. And I, I could see that just, uh, you know, I kind of wish uh, something like this was around when I was younger, because just that's where I think it was on your website that, you know, like a, a large percentage of jobs are going to require some type of skill or, or knowledge from a STEM curriculum. So it's a great offering what you're putting together. And um, yeah, just on that point, too, you know, it's not just careers, like, you know, I think it's increasingly obvious that, you know, kids will need more and more STEM um, skills to, you know, be a, 
prepared for the careers of their future. But I think, you know, having competence in STEM, it's also becoming more and more of a national priority. You know, I, I, I was just reading The Economist magazine this week, and I came across this quote, you know, quote, technological innovation has become the main battlefield of the international strategic game. And this is from not, you know, President Biden, this is from Xi Jinping in China. And so, you know, they're putting a huge priority in terms of building out STEM skills within their population. You know, within America, you know, the recently passed $50 billion Chips for America Act, you know, I think is a start for this. But if there's no pipeline of trained personnel, like, are we really training our kids to be able to fill the pipeline and, and be able to work and, you know, in these, you know, companies of the future? Like, th this is a national priority. Like, this isn't just, you know, something you should be doing for your own kids now. It's really something you should be doing for the entire nation. Completely agree. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a saying that you hear every so often just about like that the next great war isn't going to be fought right on the battlefield. It's going to be like, you know, going to be fought with code, especially with all the technology amongst remote control drones and all these other things. I mean, it, it, it's a little scary, but I, I hear what you're saying. You know, if your international competitors are saying game on, you're not ready. Like, come on, guys, let's we have time here to prep our kids and train our kids with the, the necessary skills that help the whole nation compete. Let's get going. 100%. And so like diving more into your background, right? You know, you've built multiple businesses. And, you know, if I remember correctly, one of them was acquired by a pretty well-known tech company. You know, is this more of a, a passion project for you? Or, or did you look at franchises with kind of some benchmark measuring stick in mind and uh, just, yeah, I'm more curious going from effectively what I would classify as more of like a, a tech uh, entrepreneur of sorts, moving it to the franchise space, which some might think is kind of uh, an outdated industry, or maybe they just think of McDonald's, right? You know, how did you, do you also view this right as a potentially high upside opportunity? Or again, is it more of just, you thought, hey, I've kind of had a few big wins. Let me just do a little passion project. So I think two parts to that question. Um, first of all, it was mission focused for me as well. You know, selfishly, I wanted to create a company to help teach my own two sons. That first and foremost was the main driver for this. Uh, and then once I started digging into the, the numbers for, you know, potentially if we could reach the scale of, you know, say a math focused franchise, you know, brand out there, they have a thousand plus locations across North America. You know, if we could achieve that kind of scale, what kind of revenue and numbers that that would result in that caught my attention. You're right, I have exited a couple of previous companies. Um, the last one was an eight figure exit, I don't need to work, you know, going forward. But at the same time, I'm not going to be, you know, spending it the next 10 years of my life, you know, doing something that doesn't have a big potential upside as well. So first and foremost, yeah, I was, I built Steemoji for my sons explicitly. And it's great that we can be able to help other, you know, communities, other families out there to, you know, teach their own children or other children in the community. But at the same time, you know, this is a business. Our franchise partners need to make money. And the more revenue we can generate as a system, the more we can plow back into building better and better curriculum building up the brand, just better supporting all of our franchise partners. It's uh, we got to get that flywheel going. Absolutely. And kind of more thinking about the business model. How do you guys approach it? You know, is it a, if I'm going to Steemoji, am I paying on a per class basis? Is there a monthly membership? You know, how does it kind of break down? So getting a little bit into the secret sauce of what we do, but um, I can definitely share a bit about it. Um, yeah, so my from my previous experience, my more successful companies were subscription based. And so I, I'm a big proponent of recurring revenue. 
I think as an entrepreneur, it's much better to have recurring revenue to help you better predict what next month's revenue is going to look like. That just helps you sleep better at night and it just helps you better predict um, cash flow going forward. Uh, so that was a, a big focus for me from day one to make sure we designed that into the system. A lot of educational centers and tutoring centers and specifically, they tend to end up pricing just on by hour. And that's something I really wanted to get away from. So we adopted more of a gym-like membership model. And so by purchasing a membership at Estimoji that entitles you to a certain number of sessions and all the different benefits and rewards. But yeah, we didn't want to, we wanted to avoid that whole hourly thing completely. I think that's a flaw in the design of a lot of educational centers out there. Definitely. Now, and I hear you on the, uh, just the predictability of the revenue and how important that can be. And it also, I feel like it's probably simpler for franchisees to kind of just wrap their head around. I mean, you don't have to share the number if you don't want, but I'm curious, like, do you guys internally have a number in mind for franchisees based on like the investment and all that and the expected, you know, estimated, right, profitability of if you have X number of students, then you should be profitable? Does that come into the projections for a franchisee like because i know um you know mathnasium for instance the, you know they have a number in mind for all their franchisees where it's like hey like you should hit this number um, and regardless of your market that's when you're starting to hit your stride absolutely i think we've developed this number internally but more importantly we've used that number to help guide our initial support package for franchise partners and so like I said, we copy kind of a gym membership model in terms of our pricing, uh, but even in terms of our pre-launch sales activities, um, in terms of using things like um, founding memberships and different pricing incentives for people to help get them, accelerate them, our franchise partners to get to kind of that threshold. You know, obviously there's going to be variance in ongoing costs, primarily driven by real estate or, you know, whether or not the franchise partner wants to run the academy themselves or if they want to hire in a, a director to do it. But we do have a rough number that we kind of target towards and try to accelerate our partners to get to that point. It may or may not get them to break even, but in any case, they will be in a very healthy position uh, for growth going forward. Definitely. Yeah, I, I just think it, it probably makes it, it's a lot easier, I think, to kind of structure like your activities and, and just understand what you're trying to accomplish when you have kind of a, just a, like a, a membership model. It just, it just makes it easier. 100%. I love that. And going off again, your experience with past companies, you know, what would you say, just given that you're now in the franchise world, you know, I, I've learned from just some of my content, you know, on Twitter and in, in my newsletter and whatnot, that there is a surprising amount of interest in brick and mortar businesses, whereas, you know, if you follow like mainstream media and Shark Tank and not that, you know, I love Shark Tank, so I'm not hating on Shark Tank, but, uh, the, you know, the entrepreneurs and the companies that get glorified are usually, you know, these high growth tech startups and things like that. So just being an entrepreneur that's now dabbling in the brick and mortar world with kind of more of that tech startup experience prior to this. What would you, uh, you know, any learnings that you've had so far that you could take away for if there is someone listening to this who has had a few big wins like yourself and is thinking of, you know, like, hey, maybe I want to try a franchise because I didn't realize the, the kind of the possibilities within these different types of models. So I think you just taking a step back. It's like, what is the benefit of having that physical location? Right. So for what we do, like I said, it, it makes a ton of sense. You need to be physically pre present at a center that has a lot of stuff 
and a lot of equipment. Like you can't deliver this virtually. So just the actual delivery of what we wanted to, to teach, especially these, these younger kids, the six to 14 year olds, it's critical to have that physical location. Some of my previous e-learning companies, they're both target adults. Um, to have a physical location, to be honest, there might've been some initial benefit in terms of sales and onboarding um, to get them into the service. But on an ongoing basis, the adults just put a much higher priority on flexibility um, in terms of convenience. And so it wouldn't be appropriate in that context. So for what we do, the nature of what we teach, um, that physical location is just absolutely critical. And then secondly, in terms of scalability, you know, I, I sometimes get asked, like, why don't we just build out corporate locations everywhere? And we feel a big part of our the marketing of what we do really needs to be you know, digging deep into the local community. So we want parents in their local community to become our franchise partners. We want them to be telling other parents when they're standing on the, the sidelines of a soccer pitch, you know, hey, I got to go take, you know, my son or daughter to Samoji afterwards and to do this cool project. We need those parents to be talking to the schools that their kids attend to say, hey, this would be a great extracurricular after school activity to be exposed. So we really need, um, you know, local connections, local networks in order to, you know, spread the word to really get deep into the communities where our franchise partners are. And then from our point of view, the quicker, we've been pretty deliberate with the scaling and the sale of our franchises. Um, this is something that we were heavily, heavily advised on early on is don't grow too fast. This isn't a race. Um, you need to grow in the, at a healthy pace, at a pace that you can actually support. And so we've been very, very deliberate in terms of where we're targeting, how we're growing, and just at the speed that, that we're growing at to be able to support, you know, make sure that all of our initial franchise partners are successful. But we are getting better and better at it, and we are going to be speeding that up quicker and quicker. And uh, yeah, just having physical locations, it just really helps us scale to potentially a thousand plus locations across North America. Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, that kind of leads me, I guess, into the next question, which is just, you know, uh, long term. I mean, what what do you think the goal is for Steamoji? Uh, is it kind of focusing on North America? Do you see international expansion potentially at some point? You know, what's the long term, you know, goal that you, you have in mind? So it's an interesting question. And I'll tackle that one in two parts again. First and foremost, like I said, I built Steamoji for my own kids. And so as my kids are getting older, you know, they're going to be at a point where they kind of graduate from our 400 hour program. And so internally, we were just looking at new ways or new types of programs that we can help foster and nurture, you know, these extremely talented young kids that have gone through and learned all these skills that we've taught them for five years, you know, how do we help them next? And so really coming up with some innovative programs uh, to help get, you know, that 14 year old through high school, um, doing whole bunch of interesting and cool activities or, you know, teaching them, you know, more intense coding or getting them into robotics competitions or even entrepreneurship, you know, teaching them how to start their own businesses, right? So that's a big mission for me personally to help my own children and then the rest of the apprentices that are going through our programs. And then secondly, throughout the franchise system, yeah, you know, why isn't there a thousand plus location STEM franchise brand out there. We feel we can do it. We feel we've got a good start at it. And uh, yeah, let, let's focus on North America first. You know, international is, is always an option. But th like I said, this isn't a race. We're going to be very deliberate about our growth. We're going to make sure that our partners are successful. And yeah, we're laser focused on, you know, building out locations in the United States and Canada. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, I agree with you. It's not a race. Uh, a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but you do see franchise founders come into the industry and 
maybe, right, they are in the mindset that let me just sell a bunch of franchises and, you know, it, it can become more of a money grab than building a sustainable foundation, you know, with a proven model that franchisees will actually benefit from too. So it's always good to hear that you have that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, this is, I'm not doing this primarily for financial reasons myself. My goal is not to, you know, collect a bunch of franchise fees and then sell to some kind of PE firm to come in. This is something we're just going to be growing very deliberately. First and foremost, like I said, for my own kids, um, they have to go through the program. And then as we're able to help other families and other franchise partners out there, that's great. It's just something that someone should be doing. And why not us? I love it. Yeah, that, that's a great mindset. Well, uh, look, Hank, this has been really fun to talk and learn more about your brand. I'm excited because I agree with you. I think there's a big need for this kind of service. And yeah, the franchise models, right? A great way to scale it and get it out into as many markets as possible where there's demand for it. So uh, I'm excited to watch you grow. And yeah, you know, is there anywhere where people can follow along your journey, whether it's individually or for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So Obviously, our customer parent-facing website, uh, steamoji.com. We also have our sort of franchise partner-facing website at steamojifranchise.com. And then uh, Steamoji across pretty much every social handle out there. So, yeah, I invite you to follow along and uh, feel free to reach out and contact if you want to bring a Steamoji to your community. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll plug those in the show notes. And now I hear what you're saying with uh, Steamoji making trademarks and everything easier. Like, like, I'm sure all those social handles were just available in the first look, whereas other folks have to kind of come up with creative names to create a social handle. It's, it's usually already taken. Um, for sure. Yeah. But uh, all right, Hank, uh, good to chat and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.